Anybody need a Bible? We're going to get one put in your hands before we get going today. And uh, guys, it's so great to be back with you and to see you and you all look so wonderful. And we're so grateful that you're here with us in person. We're grateful uh, to you who have joined us online. We say thank you. We'd love to have you here in the building. But for whatever reason, you're unable to be here. We're grateful you've joined us regardless, just that you're with us to get into the word of God. And uh, so with that, guys, uh, there's no further reason that I can see to delay. So let's just jump straight to it. Is everybody doing okay today? Overall, all good. God is in control and it is well with your soul. Amen. Um, Let's turn in our Bibles as we continue our journey in the book of James to the first chapter. We will finish chapter one today in a message, verses 19 through 27, the message entitled, Don't Deceive Yourself. Don't deceive yourself. And so with that, let's take our hearts uh, to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just thank you just for your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy and your compassion that fails not We thank you, Lord, that uh, you are for us and not against us, that you have thoughts of peace and not of evil to give us a future and a hope. We're asking, God, that you would continue to pour your spirit out on this time to move and minister in, in tangible ways that would challenge us and change us and make us like Jesus, in whose name we pray. And everybody say, amen. Allow me to remind you that James is all about practical Christian living. He's given us, as we've uh, made our way through the first chapter, he's given us keys on how we stay true to God through trials and tribulations, how we stay true to God rather than indulging our temptations. And now he wants to talk to us a little bit about our temper. And so if you were to outline the first chapter of the book of James, you might look at trials, tribulations, temptations, and temper. They're all there. He talks about them all. And so let's look together, uh, beginning in verse Verse 19 of the first chapter of the book of James, he says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, family, I have mentioned to you in times past how I like to mark up my Bible. By the way, guys, you know that uh, this, this is just uh, leather and paper and ink, right? I mean, it's, the, the book itself is, is not sacred. Well, now, what it says is sacred, I mean, is the Word of God, but it's just a book. Don't, don't be afraid to, to write in it, underline it, highlight, make little notes to keep you like mindful of what the Lord was ministering to you in that time, at that day, you know, and kind of uh, remind you of His faithfulness to you. But I've mentioned to you how I like to mark my Bible up with different kind of uh, colored ink based upon what's in front of me. You know, for instance, if I see a command, something that uh, the Bible says I am to do, I will underline that with a blue ink pen. It reminds me, this is something I'm supposed to do. Uh, if I see something that is sin or unwise, so on and so forth, of course, you know, you, you default to red for that. Uh, as for me, if I see the result of something, like if you do this, be it good or bad, then this will result, I understand Underline those results in green. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of able, and then, you know, if it's something that's just a good, hearty statement, but not necessarily connected to a command or a sin, I, I'll, I'll highlight that or underline that in black. It's just kind of something over the years I've developed for my own personal study habits. But regardless of how you like to mark up your Bible, let me encourage you to draw attention not to the suggestion, not to the request or recommendation, but to the requirement, ladies and gentlemen, the command of verse 19. Listen to me, James, you read through the book of James. James does not give us good ideas. Uh, you know, God's word doesn't say, well, you know, if you want to, or, you know, it might be wise to in a kind of a take it or leave it kind of context. No, no, no. God's word demands a course of action from our lives as believers. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay. 
And we're going to talk about this more throughout the book of James, but you guys like commands, action, I got to do something. I don't know if I'm with you. (laughs) You're with me. But there's nothing, as James, we'll get into this more as we study the book, but there's nothing that's required of you in order to be saved, right? We know this. Um, and for, for instance, one day, people were asking Jesus, they said, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And that's kind of an ancient vernacular uh, way of saying, uh, what is it that God requires of us that we, that we might be saved? Uh, and Jesus answered them and said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. In other words, Jesus was making it quite clear that salvation is free. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For with the heart, the Bible is clear, one believes uh, unto righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. What that means is that the heart or the mouth will reveal what's truly happening in the heart. The mouth makes known what's happening in the heart. But once you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, listen to me, there are some things that God wants to deal with in your life and in my life. And he wants to take us and make us more like Jesus. Now listen, that's not going to happen on the basis of recommendations. It demands requirements. Let's remember, ladies and gentlemen, we are not our own. We have been bought at the price of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And what that means is that God tells us what to do, and we do it. Uh, We are His. And again, it's not out of, uh, how do you say, uh, obligatory or obligatory legalism. It's out of love. What we do for God isn't out of guilt but out of gratitude, not legalism, it's love. Remember these words, for this is the love of God. This is our love for God that we keep his commandments. Listen to me, our love for God is demonstrated or expressed through our obedience to God. Therefore, my beloved brethren, let each of you, Now, come on, somebody. That's every one of us, isn't it? Let each of you be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. That is, slow to anger. Now, surely, I mean, as I say these words, which is just the word of God, you know, already in your mind, there's some form of application that's coming from this observation. You're thinking through, you know, because it, it's applicable in just about any context, isn't it? Spousal relationships. Come on, somebody. Come on. <laughs> Spousal relationships, employee-employer relationships, uh, siblings. How many, you know, you've heard of sibling rivalry, this thing, and, or, or parent-child, whatever, Okay. God has given us two ears. He's given us one mouth, right? Now add to that, our ears are open, but our tongue is encased behind a pair of lips and a set of teeth. Now that should be telling us something, okay? Wise is the individual who makes the practice of listening twice as much as they speak. Listen, you will spare yourself untold amounts of trouble. I have never met anyone who got themselves in trouble by being overly attentive. You know what I'm talking about? By paying too much attention. It's when we want to add our own two cents. That's when things start going south, isn't it? The Bible says, he who hears an a ma- or answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Anybody here willing to confess that they've been a, I don't even want to say victim, let's say willing participant in the folly and shame of answering a matter before they've heard it? Come on, man, that's an every hand in the building kind of a, of a response. And again, the Bible says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. 
but he who restrains his lips is wise. Mm. The danger isn't in listening too much. It's in talking too much. And so again, the applications are many. But I want to draw your attention to the contextual reference. It's to the importance of listening and taking heed to the word of God. Okay? Back in verse 18, I know it's been a couple of Sundays since we've been here. You can refresh yourself. Just You can look back at it if you like. But James tells us that we've been born again by the word of truth. In other words, God has brought forth life in us by the power of his word. And then in verse 19, he says, so then, right, or therefore, or because of that fact, we should be swift to hear it, eager to take it in. Now, today, and I'm grateful, but today we appreciate kind of the cordial, 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 however you say, environment when it comes to hearing God's word and being taught. In other words, for the most part, people are respectful. If someone is speaking from a platform or a pulpit, they will, they will listen and hear them out. But in James' day, things were a little less formally structured as it pertained to being taught. You know, in other words, it wasn't uncommon for someone to interrupt the teacher and begin to debate them or speak back and forth with them, offering their own insights, which may very well be completely off base and out of line. You know what I'm saying? Like it, and now, and it may, so here you are, you know, you've just uh, converted to Judaism. It's your third week in the synagogue and the rabbi's sharing and you're like, hey, but I think... And you begin to debate them back and forth in points of the law of which you really don't have much of a clue. And so, you know, it's the same kind of context as the church was developing. And here you are, you're this new believer. And uh, James says, listen, you've been born again by God's word. Now sit, listen, and learn. Okay? Don't be eager to express or speak your own opinion, or interrupt the one who's sharing with you, get in some kind of heated debate with them, make sure that, you know, they understand, well, what I think is just as important as what you think, and all, you know, and all of the, the things that we can begin to wrestle with. As believers, listen, our thoughts, our opinions, can I just be honest, they, they really aren't important. What has God said Right? That's, that's what we want to know. I'll never forget, I was in Africa there in Nigeria, and they were having this long, you know, kind of this Bible saying they were having people get up and testify and do this thing, and this guy was droning on and on and on. And you could tell he was probably a relatively new believer, but he was just going on. Finally, Bernard just interrupts him and he goes, Just tell us what the Lord has said. You know, kind of a thing. It's like, listen, opinions don't, it's, they just are what they are. They, we all have them, they're all of equal value, and it's not very much. What has God said, right? That's what's important. His word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. More necessary than the food we eat is the bread of life or the word of God. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Here's another proverb for you. He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Think about that. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. A man who has knowledge spares his words. He's slow to speak, he's swift to hear, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Slow to anger. It's been said before, better to be silent and thought a fool, you know where I'm going, than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. And guys, let's, as long as we're talking about this, let's drill down to the next level. Sometimes the one that we need to be slow to speak to is ourselves. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, this is what I mean. 
God's word is being taught, but inwardly, and you know this can be true of you, and it's true of me, there we are, where someone is teaching the word of God, but inwardly we begin to maybe raise objections to what's being said. We go from kind of listening to lambasting the speaker in our heart or in our mind. Uh, Listen, God's word is sharp. You realize that, right? The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Cuts to the division of the bone and marrow, even dividing the thoughts and intent of the heart. It can cut us. The question is, how are we, you and me, how do we respond to that? Sometimes we become resentful and combative. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, or, or maybe, maybe there's just something about the way the guy's dressed, the way he does his hair, you don't like his beard, maybe he's, you know, maybe he said something that's set funky on you, and, and you just don't like him. And so, you know, you're up there, and you're just really, you're kind of listening to everything he says through kind of a preconceived filter of, eh, I don't really like this guy anyway. Or whatever the case may be. James says, stop with that. And listen to the word of God. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This heated, think of it like this. Unrighteousness won't somehow produce a righteous result. Okay? And then in, in verse 21 he says, Therefore, so in light of all of this, lay aside all filthiness, an overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness. Okay, so guys, here I am. I've got kind of a a blue-red thing happening here in this verse. You see what I'm saying? Here's a command, something I'm to do. Lay aside all filthiness, overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word and this is, this is the green, right? The blue-green, which is able to save your souls. Not only eternally, but presently as well. I mean, you realize, don't you, that salvation, we're being saved, if you will, uh, in three tenses. Yes, you, you get that. Meaning, we've been saved, right? We're being saved, and ultimately, eternally, will be saved. God's word is salvation for your soul. Therefore, he tells us here that we should respond to that truth. Now again, you guys, these aren't suggestions. They're not recommendations. They're requirements. We should respond to that truth in a two-fold manner. So we've been born again by it. We're to be swift and eager to hear it. Um, It is salvation to you in every essence of the word, presently, practically, eternally. You understand the importance of what James is driving to you. This is critical, right? You guys get that, yes? Okay. And so that should yield a two-fold net effect in our lives. Number one, if you're a note taker, you're a margin etcher, phrase circler, Highlighter, I don't know, I go on and on. Uh, But number one, repentance should be an ongoing, regular occurrence, okay? James says it like this, therefore, lay aside, that is, turn away from all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Guys, this phrase, lay aside, um, if, if you were there in the ancient world and you were reading this in Greek or listening to it in Greek, it would conjure an image in your mind. Laying aside speaks of, of taking off a garment. You, like you lay aside your coat, right? There you go. You go inside someone's house and they say, here, let me take your coat. You lay it aside. You put it on the couch. They throw it on the bed, whatever the case may be. Well, listen, you've clothed yourself in immorality, in depravity, in corruption, and and. We're to take those things off, to turn from those. We're to be done with those things. Lay aside any and all filthiness, impurity, overflow of wickedness. 
I think the King James says something like superfluity of naughtiness or something like that. It's like superfluity of, now what is that? I don't know, I'm not sure how that, but anyway, overflow, I like that. Overflow of wickedness, in other words, malignity, ill will, evil, maliciousness, spitefulness. Listen, anything that would be recognized as impure or an inappropriate manner of living. Are you with me? So number one, we we should be repenting regularly, laying aside these things that would seek to cover us or clothe us. Number two, we're to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So we have a negative and a positive, don't we? Okay, Are, are you guys... Staying with me today? Okay, I just want to make sure. Sometimes I look out and I feel like you guys are not. Um, but that may be on me. I just need to know. Do I need to adjust something here? So, uh, so huh? Slow. To speak. Slow. <laughs> Appreciate the application. You're just being, you're just honoring the word of God. So to the negative, we're to turn away from sin And to the positive, we're to turn to, that is, take in the word of God. Amen? James says that we're to receive with meekness. That is, we're to take in God's word. We're to accept it, and this is coming out of that context, right? We're to accept it rather than argue with it. Does that make sense? He's talking about slow to speak. We're to accept it, not argue with it. That is, we're to have a teachable, receptive heart that recognizes and submits to the authority of Scripture, okay? And, And I want you to notice that James uses this, again, this very like conjuring up this image kind of, of, of word. He, he refers to the word as the implanted word. And for me, that kind of triggers in my mind to think back to the parable of the soils that Jesus taught. How many of you remember that parable quick show of it most most all of you familiar with it how that a sower went out to sow and as he was sowing the seed you know some of it just fell by the wayside there just he's casting it without prejudice without regard he's just flinging seed everywhere some of it falls to the wayside and the birds of the air come and they snatch it up and then some other you know falls on uh, uh, stony ground or it looks good but there's a shelf of stone just a few inches under uh, the earth and then some of it he says fell among thorns and and then some of it fell on good plowed up ready to receive kind of soil and uh, you know it 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 shot down the root it sent up the shoot, and it uh, out came the fruit, right? Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. And then, and then a little bit later, he explained this parable to his disciples because his disciples were like, what is it, what are you talking about? And he said, do you not understand this parable? How are you going to understand any parable that I speak if you don't understand this parable? Which, by the way, Bible students, Jesus gave you a key right there. If you want to understand his parables, this parable of the sower is instrumental in illuminating the other ones. He's giving you keys in that. What this is here, it is there. There's a continuity, a consistency in his teaching, you see. And so uh, he essentially said that the various types of soil, the different surfaces that the seed landed on would reflect or represent the hearts found in the various, the kind of hearts found in various people. Now, the seed would represent God's word. Here I am just sowing indiscriminately, without prejudice. Everybody's here hearing it, listening equally. At least they have that opportunity. But some people don't really want to hear it. I don't know. Maybe you're here because your wife drug you here. You really don't want to be here. You know, you're not listening. Or your husband or your whatever. The, your mom and dad made you come, and here you are. And you don't, you know, so you don't really want to hear it. And so Satan just comes along, snatches that seed right out of your heart. Others have hardened hearts. In other words, it kind of looks good initially. The word kind of begins to take a little, you know, something, something there. But then when trials or tribulations take place, when the heat is on in your life, it's like, 
the seed hits the, the bottom, the shelf, the, the bedding. It just, it's, it's done. They, you know, they, they stumble, they, they fall away. Um, some receive it, but then he said weeds and thorns. And he tells us that those things represent the cares and, and the riches uh, you know, uh, of this world. And, and, uh, and, and so that uh, the concerns of this world, so that sometimes if someone receives it, but then the cares and the desire for riches and other things begin to wrap around it and choke it out before it brings forth life. Their priority lies in this world, not the kingdom of God, but some Some receive the word in fertile, ready not only to receive, but to respond kind of soil. The fallow ground of their heart has been busted up. God's word takes root and it brings forth a harvest of fruit that remains to his glory. Now, what's the fruit? The fruit could be soul winning, you know, you're inviting people to church all the time that they might be saved, or you're leading them to Christ, either way, however you do. Uh, it could be worship. You know, you're growing in worship. It could be uh, growing in holiness, could be good works, serving, could be giving. These things are, are kind of the fruit of God's word as it, t- it shows itself in our lives. And that's what James is speaking to here. Listen, lest Left to itself, the human heart is only going to produce weeds, okay? Uh, An overflow of wickedness that needs to be done away with. So the essential essential exhortation here in our passage is, listen, pull the weeds and prepare the soil for the implanted weeds. Word. How many of you remember that your Bible says the preparations of the heart belong to who? To man. No, preparation of the heart belongs to man. In other words, do you come ready, expecting to receive and ready to respond? Not all soil is fertile soil. And so the question that confronts us is, how's the condition of your heart? Hard. Maybe, maybe you don't care. You know, you're just in that place where you don't even care. Or maybe it's like, eh, I, you know, I'll listen to the guy, but I'm not too, you know, not overly interested. And so it's kind of hard. Maybe it's overrun with the cares of this world. Or, or maybe it's open to and receptive of God's word. Now Listen. How how will we know? Well, it won't be revealed only in what you say, uh, but it will be expressed in what you show. Okay, the way that we lead our lives. And that's where James is heading here. Receiving God's word, listen to me, receiving God's word is displayed or demonstrated in how we respond to God's word. You understand that? Receiving God's word is displayed in how we respond to God's word. You see, if I'm not honestly, appropriately responding to God's word, then it's a fair question to say, am I truly receiving God's word? James would say, no. If you're not responding to God's word, then you're really not receiving God's word. Let that, let that sink in. Think about that. And look at verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man uh, observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one 
will be blessed in what he does. What a warning for you and for me. Guys, can we just sit here in a moment of transparency and acknowledge how easy it is to content ourselves in hearing God's word and thinking that now we've done our part? But that mentality, you know, I've gone to church, I've done my duty, and now I'll just kind of do what I want to do till next Sunday when I go to church and I hear the word again. That mentality, though you may not think of it in those words exactly, but that mentality is to deceive, listen, myself. Listen, if Satan deceives me, that's one thing, isn't it? But if I deceive myself, I mean, surely that's worse. But James is here trying to enlighten us, family. He's trying to instruct us, to teach us what it looks like, okay? Okay? What it looks like to receive, that's our word, with meekness, the implanted word. In other words, how does taking God's word in translate into my life? Well, it will show itself in the corresponding actions in or of my life. Does that make sense? So taking God's word into my life will correspond in the actions that pour forth from my life. Now listen, one, I would say one is too many. But I would dare to say to you that this is a problem of epidemic proportions within the Christian community. You say, well, what is that? Well, it's common that Christians will come and content themselves with hearing a Bible study and thinking they've done that which is necessary. You know, we've heard the pastor. Perhaps, if we're lucky... We've been entertained by the pastor, who's juggling or whatever, spinning plates, whatever it takes to keep everybody engaged and entertained. So now I'm off to do life till next Sunday. And I think that now I'll be blessed of God. You know, I'm, I'm growing spiritually because I've heard the word. I'm deceiving myself. One person put it this way, too many Christians mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. Think about that. Never make a difference in their lives. Uh, The way I say it is, it's not enough to get into the Word. The Word has to get into me. Okay, so much of church today, guys, I'm just being honest, and I'm not necessarily pointing any one person out. I mean, if it applies to you, then so be it. Let God deal with you and respond appropriately. But so much of church today reminds me of the words of Ezekiel 33. Let's look at it together, guys. We won't be too much longer, but let's look back your Old Testament. Go ahead and flip back there to Ezekiel chapter 33. And when you get there, give me an amen. Got one? Praise God, you're quick. May I tell you what? I was teaching in Springfield a couple weeks ago, and I had a different Ezekiel passage. I was taking them to, and I was like, when you get to Ezekiel, uh, give me amen. I went, and I heard amen. I was like, dang. I was like, did you click there or turn there? And they turned there, man. I was, I was impressed. All right, all right, all right. Ezekiel chapter 33, and let me draw your attention to the 30th verse. And uh, we read here in Ezekiel 33, beginning in verse 30, As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and the doors of their houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, Please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. In other words, everybody's kind of inviting friends and family to church. They're excited to go and hear this guy. And so they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words. Uh Uh-oh, here it comes. But they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. 
Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. In other words, you're entertainer to them. They love to hear the way you wax eloquently. You articulate so incredibly and they're just entertained by you for they hear your words, but they do not do them. Mm. Think about that. And that's where I'm done, just so you know, verse 32. For they hear your words and do not do them. Over and over again, the scripture exhorts us, warns us that we're to be doers of God's word. Guys, not doners of God's word. I know that's not a word, but... uh, in other words, it's something that we're to be continually about. Not like, I've done that, I've checked it off my list. You know, one and done, there you go. Uh, no, we're doers of the word. Guys, it's what we're to be about for the rest of our lives. And that's the warning. Now, why do I say warning? That's the warning. Well, because James is alerting us, you got your attention back to James, and and guys, we'll expound upon it more later on in the book as to what a true saving faith looks like in real time in our lives. But the essence of it is this, that is that true faith will produce a change, okay? A false faith will say the right things, But there's no real corresponding change to match in my life. No corresponding uh, uh, change in my life to match the profession of faith. Does that make sense? A false faith can fool people. Uh, You know, you say the right things. You've learned Christianese. It's not a difficult language to learn. Uh, you, you, you sing the right song. You know, when worship's going, you're singing the song. When the offering comes by, you're throwing money in the, in the offering or, or whatever. But if your life hasn't been at all affected by your faith in Jesus, then the main person that you're fooling is yourself. And that's why Peter says, listen, beloved, make your calling and election Sure, don't deceive yourself. Don't think, I've jumped through the hoops, I've done my duty, I'm good before God. Again, the the word of God demands action. It requires attention. We're to be doers, not hearers only. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? And that's when he spoke of the difference between the one who does what he says and the one who doesn't. And the one who does, the doer, stands strong in adversity, but the hearer will be swept away by the storm, you see. Listen, it was common in the ancient world. You've got to take yourself back. You've got to rewind in your mind, right? If you take yourself back to the ancient world that James is speaking to, the days just, you know, post-Christ's ascension and, and during the days of Christ and, and, and all of that, it was common for them to hear a teacher. However, if you followed that teacher, if you sought to live what he said, you were called what? A disciple of that teacher. Listen to me. Jesus is not looking for a fan club. Uh, He's not looking for cheerleaders. He doesn't need sentimental admirers or even proverbial agreeers. You know, people who can really get behind his teaching, see the good in them. No, he's looking for disciples, doers of his word. However, to the one who is a hearer and not a doer of the word, James says that person is like a man who looks in a mirror, observes his natural face, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man that he is. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? Because the word observes here is like the man who observes his natural face or observing. Uh, It means to perceive clearly, 
uh, to gaze attentively or uh, to fix one's eyes or mind upon. In other words, it's not the casual glance and uh, on you go about your day. The, the picture is one of careful observation. And so there you are, right? Here's the man, here's the person that James is picturing. They're looking closely in the mirror. You know, there you are in the morning, you get up out of bed, you walk into the bathroom, maybe make your way, stumble, whatever it is, and you start looking in the mirror and you're wiping the cobwebs out of your eyes and you're looking for every flaw each imperfection, every blemish. This guy sees everything that needs fixed. You know, his hair's jacked up. He's got bed head. Uh, you know, he maybe needs to brush his teeth. Uh, maybe shaves in order. You know, whatever. Uh, but then he just goes away and forgets about everything he saw. Everything that, that, that needed his attention, and he does nothing about it. Here's the point. The information, are you guys still with me? Okay. The information that the mirror reflected back to him made for zero application in his life. Okay, in other words, his observation didn't translate into any kind of application. It did him no good just to observe and to learn, okay? When we look in a mirror, generally speaking, I know that some are perhaps more vain than others and they just like to look and admire themselves. But when we look in a mirror as a general rule, it's in order to discover what course of action needs to take place so that our appearance is put in proper order. You know, I need to comb my hair, you know, pop a zit maybe, you know, put makeup on. I mean, you get the idea, right? James is saying that God's word is like a mirror, okay? Can you, are, you, are you with me there? God's word is like a mirror and it reflects back to us the truth of who we are. Okay? It reveals every flaw. It demonstrate every, demonstrates every out-of-order detail in our lives. Every blemish that needs attended to. But if you look into it, even with careful observation, you gaze intently, you study it carefully, and then you walk away from it, having done nothing about what you saw or learned of yourself, then all that information that you learned did nothing of any value for you. It made no difference in you. You understand? Knowing the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, and there are people who know the Bible, they can quote it back and forth. Knowing the Bible won't do anything for you. Reading, studying the word itself will not help you. I've got to respond to what I've read. I've got to give attention to those things that need changed in my life. I mean, imagine an x-ray revealing cancer in your body and you just go away and go, I'd be all right. You know, no reason really to address it. And you go on and ignore it. You forget about it. Well, that cancer is going to kill you. There is a course of action that needs to be taken if it's to be dealt with. If it's to be taken care of. Listen, the Bible reveals the cancer of sin in our lives. Do you understand? But too often we just ignore it. We just don't deal with it. Oh, we agree. We agree. We see it. We just don't change anything in response to it. Listen, agreeing that we should pray doesn't mean we're praying. Okay? Knowing that you should worship doesn't make you a worshiper. So, don't just learn about it. Be about it. 
and God will bless your life. Okay, isn't that what he says? He who looks into the perfect law of liberty. We're talking verse 25 here. That is the word of God. That's a euphemism for the word of God and continues in it. In other words, is a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. The law of liberty. You know, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Listen, Satan does all he can do to convince you that sin is freedom and God's word is bondage. I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, brothers, sisters, family, that just the opposite is true. Sin is bondage. God's word will set you free. Look into it. Take the time. to Now, there's nothing wrong. James is not in any way, shape, or form down on the person looking into it. You should look into it. You should gaze attentively upon it. You should study it carefully. But there needs to be, it needs to go beyond that. You, you understand? Take the time to understand it with the heart to respond appropriately to it. Continue in it. Abide in it. In verse 26, and we'll begin to wrap up, if anyone among you thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Guys, I can't let our time come to a close. We've got just a few minutes here, uh, but without drawing your attention to or hoping that you've picked up on this emphasis of deception in our passage. Have you caught that? As we've kind of traveled through our time together, don't be deceived. Deceiving yourselves. Deceiving his own heart. Don't deceive yourself. If you think you're religious and you don't bridle your tongue... You're just deceiving yourself. My, how this word should speak to this generation today. James puts it real plain. And and guys, he's going to speak more on the tongue later, so we'll leave it for now, okay? But let's not forget, again, the mouth makes known what's happening in my heart. Now, I need to point out here that there's a little variance in opinion about James's use of the word religion because some would say that he's using it as kind of a euphemism or a synonymous way uh, of speaking um, for one, one's works for God, the things that one does for God. But others will point out that nowhere in Scripture, and I mean nowhere in Scripture, is Christianity referred to or noted as a religion. Uh, but in reality, Christianity is quite the antitype for religion, because religion is all about man's efforts in reaching out to God. But the Bible teaches very plainly that man doesn't reach after God, reach out to God. There are none who seeks after God. No, not one. There are none that are righteous. But the Bible teaches that God has reached out to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, so Christianity in reality, is a person. You understand that? The person of Jesus Christ, he embodies Christianity. And so that's why we say, it's not religion. It's relationship. It's not about what I do. It's about what he's done. Okay? And so, perhaps, James is dancing on semantics here. Or he may be saying, and it's kind of the way probably I lean, that it doesn't matter how quote-unquote religious a person is or self-righteous they may appear. He may have had in mind Sadducees, Pharisees, any kind of religious people of his day. If they can't control their tongue, you know, there you are arguing back and forth with the person or you're slandering, you know, then, then it demonstrates they really aren't right with God. Guys, controlling your tongue goes well beyond profanity. I know that comes to our mind probably most readily. But you remember how the Pharisees and Sadducees, how they were always talking about Jesus? Guys, it speaks of gossip, hearsay, slander, 
character assassination, speaking ill of another, whatever. Someone has said, you can't believe half of what you hear, but you sure can repeat it. You know, one might think they're religious, but their uncontrolled tongue proves otherwise. They're only deceiving themselves. Pure religion before God, James says, has essentially three elements to it. Number one, a clean mouth. Number two, commendable service. And number three, godly character. Widows and orphans, he says here, now you should know that's kind of a proverbial kind of statement by James because widows and orphans in his days were the ones who needed uh, care you know, most readily. The idea is simply seeing a need and meeting a need. Okay? A visit. He says those who visit. He's not talking about providing an occasional meal. I mean, we have, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Russ oversees a Saturday outreach, you know, to the, uh, the homeless or those downtown uh, virtually every Saturday. And that's a, that's a fantastic thing. It's a wonderful thing. That's not specifically what this is talking about. It carries the idea of oversight or consistent care. In other words, you take this person in need kind of under your wing. You are their provider. You are going to care for them. You're going to be there for them. You're, you're going the distance with them, right? Because they can't care for themselves. And are, Who's closing? Is it you, Karen? Okay, come on up. But guys, being about tending to genuine needs, that's what, that's what James is saying. It's about being about tending to the genuine need. The idea, guys, is that the conduct, listen, the conduct and the character of the Christian are in harmony together. Does that make sense? God's emphasis is not upon religious ritual, but right living as a result of receiving his word. Can you distinguish the difference? And when he says, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world, he's not saying that we're to retreat from the world, you know, go live in some kind of monastery or something. No, Jesus was the friend of sinners. He's saying we're to be in the world, but not of the world. Personal integrity Moral purity. Are you with me? Don't deceive yourself. Be quick to hear God's word. Humbly receive God's word. Respond appropriately, that is obediently to God's word. And God will bless your life. Amen? All right, let's bow our hearts. God, we thank you for your word. I pray that we, Lord, <laughs> that we be swift to hear it. God, that we not argue with or buck against it, but humbly receive it, God, that we might be changed by it. How can we study a passage like this and and not just cry out that you help us to be doers of your word, not hearers only deceiving ourselves. Open our eyes, God. Open our hearts. And listen, before we get out of here, one thing that God's word teaches us is that we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And that if we're to be saved from the penalty of our sin, then we're to repent. That is, turn from our sin. We're to believe in Jesus Christ who has died for our sin and will receive forgiveness on the basis of faith in Him. Now, if you've not done this, then I want to encourage you to receive today the implanted Word which is able to save your soul. That you might be born again. 
and made new by the Spirit of God. Maybe I'm talking to a room full of believers and today was just a simple exhortation uh, that you know we have some real introspective reflection to do to think about am I really receiving it or am I, am I really responding to it or am I just kind of hearing it and going about my way? If that's the case, then so be it. But if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't care how old you are, I don't care how young you are, I don't care where you've been or what you've done, God loves you. He stands ready and willing to forgive you, to receive you as his own. But what do you got to do? You got to respond appropriately. What do you need to do that you might work the works of God? Believe on him whom he has sent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. So if I'm speaking to you, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand. And if I see your hand, I'll acknowledge it. You can put it back down. But I just want to pray for you if you need the Lord to forgive you of your sin and make you new, a new creature today. Anybody, now's your moment to not miss it. Uh, don't worry about who may be around you or beside you or whatever. Just uh, this is between you and the Lord. Anyone I can pray for in that way? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you too. Anyone else? Listen, if you'll hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Open your heart. Today is a day of salvation. Anyone else I can pray for? Well, listen, as I said, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But the beautiful promise of the word of God is if we will confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so though I will lead you in a prayer, I cannot, I cannot, you know, I can't represent your heart before the throne of God. That's something you have to do. And so just reach down. And you can pray after me from your own heart if you like. You can use your own words, but just turn to the Lord and just tell him who you are. Confess, say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And I'm not trying to make excuses for it or justify it. I just confess it. I agree with you, Lord, about the nature of the sin in my life but I'm asking you to forgive me. That you would cleanse me and that you would give a new heart to me. Lord, that you come into my heart and that you would fill me with the person and the power of your Holy Spirit that I might live my life for you from this day forward the rest of my days. Thank you for putting my name in your book of life. Listen, I just want to encourage you that if you have turned to the Lord, you've believed on the Lord today, that God has heard the cry of your heart, that you're a new creation, old things have passed away, you're leaving here new and different, uh, brand new. Man, what a wonderful word of blessing. Receive that today. Receive it and rejoice in it. Father, we thank you for your goodness, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And then, ladies and gentlemen, let's stand to our feet. And may the Lord bless you. And may he be with you. May his spirit rest upon you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you for being with us today, guys. We do recognize, we realize there's all kinds of places, good places around. and The Lord has drawn you to graze on the green pastures uh, of this uh, this place and we we appreciate your willingness and your readiness to come and feast on God's word with us we encourage you to uh, be about the business of an evangelist and, and encourage others to come with you and that they might hear God's word and grow and be saved or sanctified or serve the Lord or whatever you know however God wants to use you to reach them and we thank you if you again if you joined us online today we thank you for that and uh, if you have any need for prayer 
We want to encourage you to uh, come forward as we dismiss. Maybe you were praying with me. We'd love to give some material to you. Pastor Russ has a couple of, uh, uh, we call them, they're, they're just called Welcome to the Family of God. There's this non-obligatory, there's nothing. It's just a free resource to kind of help you get started in your walk and relationship with God. Um, so we encourage you to take advantage of that. Is uh, anything else going on today? Today's a Super Bowl, isn't it? Yeah. That's all right, I guess. Hey, remember, slow to speak. You know what I'm talking about. When them teams are, you know, just be cool, my babies, be cool. Let's pray. Father, thank you again just for your love, your mercy, your goodness, your grace. And we pray, Lord, that you go before us today. You continue to just move upon us. And we pray, Lord, that having heard your word, God, we would become doers of your word. In other words, God, we pray that we not just uh, sit and soak here today and then walk away and then just kind of forget about it. Uh, But, Lord, that we would take it to heart and allow you to have your way in our lives. Uh, Father, we pray now that... uh, you would just continue to bless and be glorified in us. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. We all say, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday. Amen tomorrow night. Uh, youth Wednesday night. Study Thursday night. Guys, there's plenty going on. We'll see you next Sunday.